All right. I haven't recorded in a long time, so now I'm going to be like, what do I do with my hands? No, it's fine. This is my first, like, I think my first podcast, so this is cool. It's fine. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so I'm Najoni. Uh, this is season two of 60 Second Spark. So season two, I think that this is an appropriate time to start it because I took a little bit of a hiatus, not intentionally, but I feel like my schedule has just been crazy uh, and still wanting to give, like, good content, but maybe in a smaller package. So from season two, if you're still out there listening and still following and these things still pop up on your phone when I publish a new one, um, you can probably expect to hit about 30 minutes for these interviews. Um, we'll see how close we get today. But I'm really, really, really excited to start this episode, which will be season two, episode one. So I'm here today with Danielle Anderson, a known affectionately by me as Danny. Uh, she's a USNA alumnus and she was one of my underclass, my beloved underclass, but she is now all grown up, uh, the chief strategist for a nonprofit called the Black Veterans Project. I've um, been doing some really amazing things post-naval career uh, out there in the world, but really this episode we're going to be talking about, um, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month this October. Um, and Danny is actually in remission currently and really just wanted to talk to her about her experience, which I think is important to talk about the not great side of cancer and being someone who has experienced it, you know, from flash to bang, right? And I remember talking to you years ago, um, and, and I hope I don't inadvertently trigger you with, with these memories that I have, like, and you were starting your MBA, I think it was, and you were so excited to be leaving the Navy and transitioning, and I was so happy for you, and we kind of just had this conversation, and then I remember the next thing I saw um, was, you know, you finding out that you had cancer and starting that journey, um, and something that, that really kind of struck me as wanting to, you know, having conversations with you one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, just seeing all of the, the, response to Chadwick Boseman's recent passing from his cancer, right? And, and the outpouring of what was overtly seen as support um, and kind of what that does to, to those who are actually affected, right? And not just affected, like my loved one has had cancer or, you know, someone who's close to me, but someone who has actually been through that process. So Danny, I'll, I'll just kind of let you yeah. start out. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think that there's a lot of intersections uh, here, you know, when we're talking about uh, being a, a cancer survivor or even uh, a thriver. There, there are a lot of men and women out there who are um, what we call stage four or they're terminal. Um, so they're going to be in treatment for the rest of their lives. So we sort of affectionately within the cancer community, um, which I'm learning is a very like real thing, I guess, like any community, right? You have entrepreneurship communities and, and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and so there's very much a real uh, cancer community and we affectionately refer to them um, as thrivers, right? So they are people who are, um, you know, they don't really fit the, um, the bill of, you know, being in remission or being in active treatment, um, you know, heading towards remission and, and they'll be in treatment for the rest of their lives. Um, so there's a lot of very real, I think, intersections and Chadwick Boseman's passing, I think was, um, it really struck a lot of people. I, I was shocked. Um, I think one because he didn't reveal, uh, you know, it public publicly, 
Um, but I think a lot of people also was, were very shocked because we don't, we like a happy ending, right? I think that, um, you know, my dad was a lover of sports. Um, so every like Saturday morning, every Sunday morning, excuse me, there'd be sports on and, you know, to fill sort of the gap time where there aren't games playing, you usually had like a, um, a special on about maybe a player. Um, and it would talk about their childhood and it would talk about, you know, them growing up. And it was always this um, like really feel good story, right? It was, you know, I grew up in, you know, this really poor area. I didn't have anything um, and look where I am now. And I think we really, we love a good happy ending, right? Mm -hmm. We are, um, we don't like things that aren't sort of wrapped nicely in a package. And so I think with Chad, with Bozeman's passing, it really, um, struck people that there isn't always this sort of triumphant ending, right, where this person has, um, you know, overcome and now they're on their way or have done great things. Right. Um, yeah, and that's, I think, the hard part, um, because those stories often don't really get told. Um, and no. Then, yeah, it's, so that's one thing that sort of struck me, you know, with, with his passing. Oh man, that, that is such a good point where you talk about like the good news story, right? Because nobody really, you don't hear people, I mean, you sort of saw how in the media, you know, people are like, well, everybody was just being huge assholes to him as he was kind of going through this process and nobody yeah. knew. And now they feel all bad, but in the end it was yeah. still like, hey, look at all these murals we did look at all this great stuff and the people he impacted and let's post all of these happy videos of things that, you know, he did and, and made people feel good so that people will feel good. Yeah, that is that actually, that's such a really good point, right? We, we, you know, I, it's funny. I was watching a, a show. Um, I don't remember what it's called on Netflix, but, um, in a joking way, uh, a, a Frenchman, you know, was talking to an American girl and basically telling her, um, we, you know, in France, we don't, uh, our movies don't always have happy endings. In America, you love happy endings. Um, and I really, that kind of struck me because I think that it's very true. We, we do, like, I, I think we're, you know, we're fine with, you know, a, a character, so to speak, right, or a person going through, um, you know, a, a tough time. But uh, in the end, we do like to hear that, you know, this person has overcome and, it's, it's a really, I think, tough pill to swallow for people because it, I think it shows them, right? It's sort of in your face, especially with Chad <laughs> with Bozeman, um, very in your face that you, that everything that you can't um, outwork some things, right? Um, this, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a tagline that was always used on Instagram, like, I think, wake up and grind or something like that, <laughs> right? You can't outgrind, you can't outwork, you can't outsmart some things, right? And so um, a lot of the message that we hear on, on social media, especially, um, is just work harder, right? Um, be be the, the hardest working person in the room, all of these sorts of great things that I think that in general are just trying to tell people to, um, you know, to work hard and at the things that they love. But um, I think on the other hand, it gives people maybe a false sense that, um, that they can control more than what they really can. It really does. I think so much that, you know, I did an episode uh, previously with my sister about toxic positivity and that is so still so, so relevant mm -hmm. um, really to any situation, especially things like this. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, these quotes and stuff, right? Because, you know, I've gone through all of these phases of like my, my Instagram and stuff, right? Of 
motivation and like these different things. And I don't really post as many quotey type things anymore. I think because over time I just was, I would read them and just think like, is this even, is this even helpful? Like, is this even true? Um, Is it even like good to sort of spread these notions? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and the idea that like your mindset, your mindset is not going to process your trauma for you, like changing your mind and having a positive attitude is not going to process these things that happen to us. Right. Uh, So I do kind of want to bring it back to your story more specifically. Um, And I know that it obviously has not always been, um, you know, happy times and things like that. And I, I really do admire you for your strength to even share your story so publicly through your platform. But, you know, if you're comfortable, I'd love to hear more about, you know, some of maybe your darker times that you, you struggled with personally and how you kind of found your way through that, even if it wasn't so triumphant. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's kind of funny because I, was very much the person who didn't want to share, or, or perhaps I just didn't know how to share, but um, sort of at the beginning of my journey, I think I was, as you mentioned before, I started grad school, I want to say like the 4th or 5th of November in, in 2018, and I think by the 24th of November, I was diagnosed with cancer, so it was very much, it was very quick, um, and I don't think I posted on social media, um, I, I didn't, I told, I think, my dad and my brother, um, my oldest brother, uh, Mm -hmm. and that was it. I didn't post on social media. Um, I think for a couple of weeks, I did once. uh, I think there's sort of a lag time, you know, obviously in between starting your actual treatment and when you're diagnosed. Um, So I think I may have posted a little bit then, but I really didn't post about it and and sort of, I just couldn't... um, I just couldn't handle it. I, I, I couldn't handle one, I think, with your family. Um, families mean well, they love you. Um, but I, it's, cancer is a funny thing because it's, it's something where you now really have to be very selfish and, and, and sort of only think about what's best for you and how to sort of get through your treatment. And for me, I really couldn't handle um, my family. You would, I knew they were, you know, they love me a lot, but we're going to cry. And like, I'm trying to console you while I'm also going through, you know, my sort of um, own, uh, of course, trying time. So to be honest, I just like kept it very, uh, um, I don't want to say secretive, but really close to the chest, I'll say. Um, and so I, I didn't always feel comfortable uh, with sharing. And I don't really think I knew how. And I was always, I, I wasn't necessarily also a very uh, active um, social media person before then. I think right. that I've probably, since I've started my uh, treatment, I've posted more than I did in like the five years before my, my treatment. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I just needed that time sort of to figure out uh, how I was going to, I think, tackle this, uh, this thing in front of me. But once I did, I, I took a sort of mini vacation, not really a vacation, but I, I got a Airbnb uh, outside of the city. I was in, in Manhattan, um, I think maybe on Long Island or something like that, um, just to sort of get away because you can't really travel and, and do anything when you're in treatment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was then that I kind of decided that I was going to like go public, so to speak. And um, and yeah, I think while I was at the Airbnb, I, I sort of posted. Um, and of course, like clockwork, my uh, 
my older brother, but not the oldest, <laughs> like calls me crying. Um, and it was sort of like confirmation. I mean, it, you know, not the kind of confirmation that you want, but for me, it was confirmation that you did the right thing. You, cause I, you know, obviously I felt bad that family had to sort of find out via uh, Facebook and, and via social media. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of looking back on it, it was definitely what was best for like my mental health. Right. Uh, so yeah, that is, I, and, but you know, shortly after that, I sort of decided, um, one, I, I kind of found my, my cancer family. I'll say I was not connected, unfortunately, the first few months of my, um, my treatment to really any support groups or, um, any other, um, any other, you know, cancer survivors or anything that were at my hospital. Um, so once I kind of got linked up to um, one, there's a group, an amazing group called the Breasties, who uh, it encompasses like uh, survivors of breast cancer, I think caregivers, um, and also uh, thrivers, which are stage four, what I mentioned before, and uh, previvors, we call them. So I think that they have gotten uh, prophylactic, like mastectomies and things like that. So um, yeah, I think once I found my, my group and, and my people, I was able to share more, but even, you know, when I found that group, a lot of the people that I saw on, on social media, one were not like black. Um, and so that was a really big, uh, thing for me. And that's, I think, again, one of the pieces, one of the intersections of, of all of this is, um, we talk about like medical racism and, and, and all of these types of things. Um, all encompass your experience, I think, mm -hmm. as, uh, as you're going through treatment. And so um, I didn't, there were no one, there was no one who was black. I didn't know any veterans or, or anything like that. No one who was queer. And so for me, um, I sort of had to decide that I was going to go my own path. I have not always been known as the most positive person. So when I would see some of, you know, the women posting and they were like, um, you know, bald as the day they were born with smiles on their faces and they're wearing pink or they're wearing boxing gloves and um, they just look, uh, you know, so happy. I was like, God, that is not my story. And that's right. definitely not like how I feel probably 90% of or 99% of the time. So for me, it was kind of about telling just my story. I, I, I don't know if I sort of speak for anyone else or speak for, you know, black cancer survivors or anything like that, but, but I certainly speak for, I think the group of people who, um, one were angry as hell when they got diagnosed, that was right. certainly me. Um, and, and as, as far as that goes, I think, and for people who, um, who struggle with mental health illnesses before their diagnosis, I certainly think that, a cancer diagnosis can um, can give you depression, PTSD, all of those things. It's certainly Absolutely. a traumatic experience. Um, but you know, there is a community of people who who are uh, who have depression, who have bipolar disorder, who have all of these things, and on top of that, are dealing with uh, dealing with a cancer diagnosis. So, um, I sort of wanted to represent not necessarily a negative viewpoint, but just the kind of real and, and raw emotions that I was really feeling. And I felt really empowered because yeah. um, I never, you know, like I said, been a social media poster. I really didn't understand why people did it. I was just like, man, they must really love themselves or like taking selfies or, you know, want people to see them. Um, and it yeah. was sometimes very cathartic, I'll say, um, to, to post and to, you know, put it out there. And then I, I started getting people who would comment and say, like, thank you. Like, I, um, that's exactly what I thought and, or how I feel. 
um, and I'm really glad that you, you know, sort of said it. So it was a, an interesting journey for me, one which didn't start out with me being willing or um, open to sharing my story um, to now. And still, I, I think I'm a lot more closed off than, than some of the other, uh, you know, survivors and drivers that I'm in community with. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's, I guess, part of um, how I started sharing my story. Yeah. And I, wow, what a powerful statement. It, it's so true. Um, you know, and I think people are kind of starting to maybe understand a little bit more with social media and the way that it's being used and how it's kind of transformed into, especially Instagram, right? It's also transformed into this like informative base that's not just, I mean, I feel like years, a couple of years ago, you know, it was just selfies and I love myself and all of this, you know, I'm an influencer, yeah. but I think it's really just evolved, especially yeah. in the short amount of time that we've been mm -hmm. kind of in this COVID environment towards more information and more of the advocacy and yeah. how do you help people process these things and really just telling your story, right? And I feel like we as people get so wrapped up sometimes in posts that are like, well, that's not how I feel. Well, then I'm not speaking mm -hmm. to you. Right. And then yeah. I'm speaking to my experience. I'm speaking to, you know, maybe somebody who can be helped by, by this. And if it doesn't, then, then it's totally fine. Um, and that part is so powerful really to keep at the forefront. Um, and, and that is just not understood universally, not yet. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it really isn't. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's hard. Social media is such a, it's such a hard, um, I think it's hard to wrap your head around. You know, there were times where I sort of had to take a step back, I think, because you're, um, you know, going through sort of this life-changing event, you really, I think, see the world in a different way. And, mm -hmm. you know, the way that you think is is completely different uh, than, than the way that your counterparts who you would normally be hanging out with or, or normally, you know, um, be thinking like. And for me, sometimes I... I would post things um, and I, I sometimes would take a step back and say, you know, who is this for? Am I, am I sort of, uh, am I posting this to help people or am I posting this, you know, sort of because I am upset or because I'm angry. And even if it's information that, uh, you know, people sort of need, you know, quote unquote, to, uh, to hear or see, um, I think it's important to also understand that it can be a great tool of, of you know, getting your emotions out in, in, in a catharsis for you. But I also think it can turn into sometimes a bullying stick for, uh, you know, towards other people. And, and so I, I think that was something, at least, you know, my own personal experience um, that, you know, not made me take a step back, but certainly gave me pause to always keep at the forefront um, sort of leading with love and, and giving people grace, um, you know, when I'm sort of trying to educate. That is, and that is such an interesting point as well. Of course, I think everything is interesting, but the idea that I think, especially with the, the racial tensions, heightened racial tensions, and a lot of the rhetoric that I've seen says like, I'm tired of educating you. So don't, don't ask me questions, like go educate yourself basically. Right. And I find that I don't really like that narrative, um, to be honest. And, and I don't know, how do you feel about people who kind of ask you questions 
Um, or maybe, maybe they have a differing opinion than what you post. I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think as far as like my, uh, cancer, uh, story, um, I, I did have a, a disagreement and it wasn't with something that I posted, but, um, you know, one of the, the members of, of, of my, um, cancer community, um, I, I sort of didn't, um, agree with uh, some of the ways in which they wanted to represent the uh, people who had actually, I think they were a previvor and, and wanting to represent people who had been diagnosed with cancer. So I guess it's like drama in the cancer community, mm -hmm. right? That um, between, you know, those like, you didn't have cancer and, and um, all of that sort of stuff. But um, so, but I, I haven't necessarily experienced it. Um, you know, people disagreeing with my, um, with my take on things. I've certainly been a little bit more vocal within the spaces that I'm in um, that have to do with, with breast cancer or cancer in general, mm -hmm. um, with representation and with understanding that, um, that even with something right as deadly as cancer and something that is like, you know, it, um, it, it, it is, it, the disease itself is not racist, right? It, it'll take your hair if you're white or black or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and yet still we have, you know, two to three, we're two to three more times likely as black women to die of, of breast cancer at the same stage um, as a white woman. So, right. so we, I think advocating for that and in, in the spaces that I'm in and, and helping people not overlook those things, which seems second nature to me, but um, I'm realizing that for some reason, right, this, um, I, I know people are sort of tired of diversity and, and equity and inclusion and all of, you know, the buzzwords. Um, and I think I am, you know, in a certain sense, but as I go into more of these rooms and conferences and all of these things and realize how much we are left out, I mean, even something as serious, right, as, as mortality, as right. people dying at higher rates, and that isn't talked about, I'm realizing that um, I don't know if we necessarily need more buzzwords or more training on diversity, but we certainly need people to um, step up and understand and, and, and like be that voice, um, I think, in the room uh, for other people. Absolutely. And I think that that's where representation really matters. Um, and I think we've kind of moved past a place where where is it? it's still needed, right? We still need physical representation of Black and Brown people in, in spaces that institutionally we're not made for us right I, I say that all the time nowadays so I, we were not made to be in the places that we are we were not supposed to yeah. be graduates of the naval academy you know we're not supposed to be graduates of higher education and, and things like that so even just just being in some spaces in itself is a revolution but at the same time representation doesn't always mean having those bodies specifically there. It's also having the people who are willing to speak up on the right topics. And I know that ally is like a huge word <laughs> right now, um, yeah. but just, you know, being, being in a room and, and not having to stand by myself, right? Yeah. I should have to be the only person speaking on behalf of all black women yeah. um, everywhere, right? Because like you said, we can only tell our own stories. So yeah. Yeah, I certainly think that um, you're right. I, I, it's, it's really, I mean, it's not funny, but I, I kind of look back on it. You know, even before you know the current ev events that are that have happened in the last you know five or six months here in 2020. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, my first, um, I think the first surgeon that I talked to um, was a black woman, and it was, 
um, to this day, I think, well, not I think, but it was certainly um, one of the most traumatizing experiences I've ever had with a, mm. a medical practitioner, um, so to speak. It was, it was horrid. And um, it really let me know that, uh, that, uh, that representation is, is not and it can never be sort of the end goal. Um, and it's also not even a guarantee that, um, <laughs> that that person is trying to advance, you know, equitable outcomes for right. you, um, you know, someone who looks like them, so to speak. So <laughs> I think uh, that that definitely rings true with me, uh, very much so. Especially, you know, thinking of this, you know, what we're what we're talking about now. So you're right. I think that we we have to have people um, in in positions to make decisions <laughs> that are committed right to um to making things in more equitable outcomes um for people tangible equitable outcomes and and um not performative um sort of gestures yeah absolutely and i think so we and it's surprisingly right i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you that we have about we're at 30 minutes. Eight minutes no we're about eight minutes from the 30 minute mark so i know i'm, I'm watching it this time because I'm telling you, when you get into the flow of like these, yeah. you just go, right? Um, but I do want to talk to you a little bit of the connection and intersectionality. Like you said at the beginning, there's so many intersections mm -hmm. to different things, especially with cancer and just trauma in yeah. itself. Um, and we have talked about therapy, you and I one-on-one -on -one have mm -hmm. talked about therapy because um, we are both in therapy. And I feel like that that's not it's still, it's to say that out loud, like knowing that I'm going to publish this even said like feels weird. It felt yeah. weird to me right now to say it, but why, like, why does it feel that way? It's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. maybe talk to me about your experience kind of with therapy or like even just choosing to go that route to, to help you process like this huge trauma that you, you've dealt with. Yeah. Um, well, I can totally sympathize with you about, I mean, especially one, I think in a, uh, some, coming from someone whose career is, um, you know, in the military, I think that it's very much <laughs> taboo. I think feelings, right, are taboo, mm -hmm. um, let alone, you know, to say that you are, you know, getting help um, in, in therapy. Uh, for me, I'm super intentional now um, about being very open, you know, with saying, you uh, yeah, I, I can't do it this day, right? Because I have like trauma therapy and I am right. definitely very open because I want people to sort of understand that, um, that, that it is okay. And it's even okay to talk about, right? It's okay um, to sort of um, understand that. And I think for me, what I, what I found that was sort of missing um, was talking about like PTSD, right? I think we often kind of equate that to the military and to, um, you know, being in sort of a combat environment. But I have, you know, always really believed that um, some of the ways in which we grow up and the, the circumstances surrounding, you know, which we grow up are traumatizing, right? We, yes. We have PTSD, whether we know it or not, um, yes. you know, from those, from those environments. Um, because we don't call it that. Yeah, right. It's just, I had to, I just had to make it through or, you know, I, I just pushed through. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, um, the old American adage. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's often, we, we don't, we, we often don't name things well, right? We don't, we don't call things what they are. Um, and, and so that's one thing, traumatic experiences. 
Um, and another thing is I think that we, I was in therapy, um, I guess I should go back and say I was in therapy before I, I was diagnosed. Hmm. Um, and it was only really at the, um, I say the behest of, of the Navy telling me you have to go. Like, this is something that you have to do. Right. Um, I, you know, had gone through a depressive episode on my first ship. I was not like eating. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't coming to work, which if you're in the military, you know, you're like, well, you can't, you can't just right. not come to work. But yeah. And, and so I was like forced to, uh, to seek help. And it was really the best thing that ever happened to me. And uh, I think I was in therapy I want to say uh, up until like right my diagnosis, I moved from Virginia to New York. So I didn't have a therapist right when I moved um, to New York. Um, and I think at the very beginning of my, um, of my treatment, I ended up getting like better help. It's just an app on your phone because mm -hmm. often I was too sick to, to want to go out. Um, and it really, it, it, I, therapy has like changed, I think my life and the trajectory I think that I have, uh, been on. And I think specifically understanding PTSD and, and um, being able to understand that there are different treatments for, you know, it's sometimes therapy, just going to um, a therapist's office and talking just, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, just talking about whatever you're sort of feeling that day, isn't always helpful for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing that there's actually specialized like PTSD treatments, there's, um, you know, specialized treatments for so many different things. Um, and, and so I wish that we sort of talked about that aspect a little bit more, um, because I mean, obviously it sort of makes your experience when you're going through something like a cancer diagnosis and treatment, um, I think a little bit more difficult. Uh, and I think something that I haven't really sort of expressed to many people is I was hospitalized when, uh, when I was going through my treatment, um, and it was just a devastating time for me. So, so yeah, I think that I, I, I but I also go back and think, I, I can't imagine what would have happened if I hadn't, I wouldn't have been, you know, hospitalized and mm -hmm. if I would have just been kind of left to my own devices. And I think we hear these numbers of like 22, I think it is 22 veterans a day committing suicide. And I think I always looked at that as sort of this abstract thing that like couldn't happen to me. Right. And I found myself sort of, on the verge of being one of those 22. So yeah. I think that it was, it's definitely something that hits home, you know, for me trying not to get too emotional here, but, um, but I certainly think that number one, I think everyone needs therapy. I'm just going to be real and say that I think that there's not a person walking this earth that does not need therapy. And certainly it doesn't have to be like having PTSD doesn't have to be from a war zone. It doesn't have to be from anything like that you know, if you grew up in an environment where you didn't always feel safe, whether that was the neighborhood or your parents or anything like that, you need therapy, you know, like things like that, that we don't often, you know, sort of talk about. I absolutely agree. And therapy, it's, you know, it's not just for people who think that they're messed up, right? Uh, they have things, it, it helps you process. Mm -hmm. The things that you're, you know, I was talking to my mom about this recently because she was like, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be great to have a therapist. And like, you know, I'm putting her business on front street. I'm like, you know, talk to the therapist <laughs> and like, I'll just tell them all my secrets. And I'm like, mom, therapists are not like secret keepers. <laughs> they help you like talk about what you're feeling and, you know, why you feel that way and process your feelings, which may be about things that you don't normally tell people. Mm -hmm. You may consider yeah. them secrets, um, but it's not, that's not the chuck is your secret. 
Well, I mean, I'm sure that they would keep your secrets. Um, they have, I think they have to obligation, yeah, to, to do that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I think that. Well, no, I was like, it's work. a little bit deeper, yeah, than just like saying things out loud. Um, while while it can be a, a yeah. part of the process, um, definitely not their only function. But it's such a good, such a good point. Like if if you know, but and I, I'm also from a place where, like I told you, my sister is a social worker, so she's. Um, a licensed social worker, but my brother does not believe in therapy at all. And you met him, Danny, like he mm -hmm. is like, just, I'm sure you could probably tell just from his energy and his personality, he's just like, not about it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. And also, I think it lends towards, I think just how we grew up and the culture, right? Um, and, and some of the things that he has decided that he believes in and what he doesn't, but I yeah. think by finding people who are, are a little bit more, maybe have a higher, like an emotional intelligence, I think because, you know, because my sister is my sister-in-law. So because he's with my sister, I feel like that is more of a, a place for him to be able to process things and she can like kind of walk him through stuff, um, which is a form, a form of therapy, right? It's not always mm -hmm. professional help is absolutely needed in a lot of cases yeah. in my opinion um because you, you should just be putting your trust in, in <laughs> some of these instagram accounts oh right? my gosh yeah you got to be careful with where you're getting your information from but at the same time it's kind of like like you said not one form of therapy is not going to be the yeah. form for everybody yeah no i i really i completely agree with that um and it's it's tough right because i think it's or I shouldn't say it's tough, but I think it's very nuanced because I think we are, we have reached sort of a point in, in our society where we, we sort of want to talk about it to a certain extent, like, like everything else, right? We, um, we want to talk about it until like it's really, you know, too uncomfortable. So we are, you know, you'll hear sort of um, sayings like check on your strong friend, or you will, you know, hear people say, you know, go to therapy or, or you know, whatever it is. And so I think that we are, we've trended at least in, in a positive way towards being able to say, you know, that, hey, have you tried therapy, you know, things like that, or um, especially in the military, like making sure that, you know, if you see your friend who seems like they might be suicidal, you know, things like that, we, I think we've gotten more comfortable with talking about, but I certainly, one thing that, one large thing that I think that we really haven't tackled um, is not mental health, but like mental illness. Mm. Um, because that's something that people don't understand. It's really scary to them. Mental illness, right, is, is if you've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or, mm -hmm. um, you know, depression or um, any number of, of, or personality, multiple personality disorder. Um, we don't, those are like icky things, right? We don't talk about that. We, you know, we don't need, and we don't even accommodate those people. So not only, um, and I'm very much a believer in, in rhetoric um, and in our actions sort of really mirroring our rhetoric. So we don't talk about it. We don't, um, sort of a taboo thing, right? We, um, we think, oh, bipolar, we're like, are they gonna, you know, knife someone or we don't even know, right? We don't even understand it. We just think, oh, that's really bad. And that's, you know, they're, they're crazy, quote unquote. And so, um, and that's how we treat people. We, we throw them away, right? We, they did not get the help that they need, you know, in our country. Um, and we certainly don't, um, yeah, we, we just, we don't accommodate people like that. Um, it is, you know, it, think of your workplace, well, maybe not the military, but, you know, I think of, of even, you know, places that I've worked, it's, um, I, I could not imagine, to be quite frank with you, someone who has bipolar disorder, 
um, working there, especially if they're going through, um, you go through manic episodes, you go through lows. Um, and, and so I, you know, just our society doesn't even function in a way that allows people to bring their full selves to work in general. And then it certainly doesn't function to allow people who are differently abled to be, you know, themselves and, and also though, to be able to make a living just like we all want to. Right. To be in a safe environment. Um, yeah. And it's that equity piece again, right? It doesn't just extend towards the color of your skin. Yeah. There are these, these intangibles, you know, seemingly they're not visible, um, but absolutely. Okay, so if you, Danny, had to say one thing to somebody who maybe doesn't have any connection to you, any personal connection to someone who has or has had cancer in the past, what do you think you would want them to know? Um, so no connection to me, but they are newly diagnosed, you're saying, or? No, just, okay, just somebody, just an outsider. Okay, yeah. Um, I would just say, you know, if you come across someone who has had cancer um, or has loved someone that has had cancer, I think I would say to them, understand that those people are forever changed by that experience. Um, sorry, <laughs> getting no, a little emotional fine. here. Um, they're forever changed by that experience. And then I think that um, they're still trying to figure out their, their new life, right? Who they are after this thing has kind of happened to them. And I think we have to understand that uh, we, they had no choice but to sort of be strong, right? And to sort of get through it. I mean, if, if you sort of want to live, I think that's, I mean, it's sort of the morbid piece, but, um, but it's a piece of that nonetheless. And so, you know, this person didn't ask for this. It has sort of turned their world upside down and they are now, you know, a different person and their world is completely different and they're still figuring that out. So I think just giving them grace and, and sort of being understanding uh, like we all sort of want for ourselves, right? Um, but we never do. Um, and so I think that's that's what I would tell someone. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. I think that's a good place to close it out. <laughs> so much. Okay. I really appreciate it. Um, so that's that's season two, episode one. Oh my gosh, that worked so fast. I was it looking. did, it did. I'm sure that we could go much longer and we'll probably have to do a part two and I'm sure. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'm sure that, that we could have so many interesting conversations um, just surrounding these things. But I just hope that if you are listening to this right now or watching, because I, I will put this on YouTube um, as long as you, you are okay with that, Danny. Um, you know, just, I think the having grace and letting people tell their story and, and making sure we are processing as, as a people and maybe allowing other people to process too, right? Because you may be an outlet for somebody and, and you may not even know it. Um, so just, just sharing that light and, and keeping a light on, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, great. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.